we've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Welcome back to the podcast. And this is my first time recording the audio and then also recording the video. So I feel like I need to watch the audio and make sure because I, I have a tendency to, I don't know, I'm still playing around with all of this new setup and technology. So this is my first time trying to do the audio, but then also recording on my phone so I can upload this to YouTube and do a video. And well, we'll see how it goes. I'm not super excited about posting this on YouTube yet, but that's okay. Maybe I'll just, maybe it'll just be a practice run. I won't even post it, but uh, I want to talk about sharing your story with your board of ministry. So this is going to be, you know, a shout out to my tribe today. This episode, we're going to specifically talk Church of the Nazarene and some of those uh, steps towards ordination. Oh, I should let you know, I am interviewing Dr. Deirdre Brower-Latz very soon. I hate to say that in a podcast because then, you know, I don't want to jinx it or something, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, She is in Manchester, England. She lives in Manchester, England, and she's a professor, ordained uh, elder in the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm just excited to have her share her story, talk about what she's doing now uh, ministry-wise, and words of encouragement, words of advice to those who are new in ministry, newer to ministry, those who are exploring the call to ministry. And then, you know, hey, we can all be encouraged by everyone's story. So even if you're ordained or you're a lay leader, I think that there'll be something exciting uh, about her story, encouraging. Anyway, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Today, I want to talk about sharing your story with your board of ministry. So I've been on the board of ministry. I think this is my seventh year. I was trying to count, but I didn't like write it down on a calendar. Although it's probably in my journal somewhere if I went back seven years. Anyway, so I've been doing this for a while. We're getting ready to, on my district, we're getting ready to interview people uh, soon for, and of course it's all weird this year because of COVID. We're doing virtual virtual interviews. And usually what happens is we have two days set aside and everybody just signs up for their time slot. And so as a board of ministry member, I just show up and my committee comes in when they're scheduled. And, you know, now this year, like each team has had to figure out their own schedule and send out their Zoom links and all of that. So uh, I suspect Some of you will have already interviewed by the time you hear this episode, so sorry, uh, but it'll help you next year. And for those of you who listen, who are on different districts from mine, um, some of you have already interviewed, some of you will be interviewing in February or March or later on in the year. But again, like I said, this this will help you in the years going forward, unless you've already interviewed for ordination, then sorry. But I mean, really, even as ministers and leaders, lay leaders, we're always being asked to share our story in some way or another. And thinking about specifically for the board of ministry, there are four stories at some point that you will, that you will have to tell to your 
committee your or your full board. So, so these are the four that I'm going to focus on. The first one is your salvation story. The second is your sanctification story. The third is your call to ministry. And your fourth will be some form of growth and grace. And sometimes we ask you when it comes to the, your growth and grace testimony, sometimes we'll ask you specifically to share uh, what has God done in your life in the last year, right? So that would be a growth and grace story. Sometimes we might ask, uh, what has God been doing in your ministry specifically in the last year? So that's your growth and grace story. Sometimes we call them state of the church address, right? Those are the stories we're going to tell. So I'm going to walk through these. And the first thing every, and we usually call these testimonies, right? But I think the word testimony throws people off. Like they don't know what to do with that. So I want to use the word story because I want us to think about this is a story. So like any good story, it should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? And your beginning really sets the context for the crisis, right? So your beginning is setting the context. Your middle is that crisis moment and how you respond to the crisis moment. And then the ending will be evidence of change. Uh, It could be the next step that you took. It might be a way that God affirmed or some, or the body of Christ affirmed you, um, what you learned about yourself uh, in that crisis moment and responding to that crisis moment. And a lot of times what I, when I read people's stories, usually what we ask is we ask people to submit a written story first, and then we ask them when they come in to tell us their story. Some people are better at writing their stories. Others are better at verbalizing them. And so usually you'll get the opportunity to do both. And it helps for those who write them better. Uh, we have the written story. So if they tell them and we don't, we, we can always ask clarifying questions based on the written story. And those who don't write well, well, then you have an opportunity to t- verbally tell your story in a way that is articulate and compelling. And you really want, I think you want it to be compelling. It's, this is not, it's not a contest. Uh, who can tell the best story? That, that's not the contest, not the whole point of it. But there is a certain amount where if your story is super boring, boring has to do with how you tell it, not with the content. Um, you're going to lose people at some point along the way. But it's, so it's not, it's not a, you're not winning a prize, right? If you tell your story in a boring way, it's not like, okay, sorry, you fail. Um, we're not going to give you your district license. That's, that's not the point. But I see a couple of big stumbling blocks that people have when they when they come in and they share their their story or their testimony. One of them is they share a whole lot of unnecessary information, right? So there's a certain amount where less is more. I don't need to know that you and your spouse were at Red Robin and you ordered the mushroom and Swiss burger and the and the grill master made it the perfect medium rare, not too bloody, uh, a little bit still on the pink side, and it didn't even give you indigestion that night when you went to bed. Like I don't need to know that. I don't. I don't need to know it. For the most part, it probably doesn't fit the context of the story that you're telling. Now you can share that in a blog. 
uh, write a poem about it, whatever. But a lot of times there's just information in the story that we don't need to know. And as we're listening to the story, we're thinking, okay, this, this mushroom and Swiss burger must have something important to, to, and then it's like, no, it had nothing to do with it. You could have cut out 15 minutes worth of your story um, and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have detracted from the, the point you're trying to get to. Now, if you're in a public rest, restaurant and something happens and you're completely humiliated and the way you respond to it in the middle of this public humiliation, now that would be something that could have context and might be meaningful to your story. And so, okay, then share, then share that. One of the advantages to writing out your story before you come to Board of Ministry and tell it is that you're beginning to really streamline, condense your story, make it concise, pull out the pieces that are really important and focus on those rather than all these other things. And here's what happens. For a board of ministry, when you come in, we want to give you as much time as possible to really help you. We want to assess where you are in the process towards ministry, but then we also want to assign you some things to work on over the next year to develop you as a minister and move you towards ordination. And if we, at least for on my district, we give each candidate about 45 minutes. Um, if you're interviewing for ordination, you have a little bit more time, usually about an hour, sometimes an hour and 15 minutes. Now, each district's diff- different, but anyway, we only have so much time when we're together. And we really want to help you as much as we can. But quite often, we'll have somebody who'll just carry on with so much information and so much detail that really isn't going to help us to help you, right? So think through some of these things before you meet with your board of ministry. What do you really need to share with them and what don't you need to share with them? And quite often we'll get almost five minutes to we got about five minutes left and then the, the candidate will really share something that's important that we needed to know in order to really help them move forward. And they've waited until the last five minutes to share it with us. And now we're, we're pretty much out of time. Sometimes we do that subconsciously without even realizing it. We, we don't want to come in and just talk about the hard stuff and the important stuff. We want to talk about surface things and then we get to the end and like, well, okay, we have to tell them this. So we'll tell them it, but then they're, they know they're running out of time. So subconsciously, sometimes we do it to ourselves without realizing it. All right. So let's talk about each one of these. The first one I want to talk about is your salvation story. And I think that the beginning is setting up the context for this encounter that you had with Christ that was transforming. So if you didn't grow up in the church, you might want to include that in your story. If you did grow up in the church, you might want to re- record that in your story uh, if it lends to moving towards that crisis point. Um, maybe there was something in particular that happened along the way that set you up towards this crisis point. So for example, in my story, my parents divorced. I became a professing atheist. I found myself in a place where I was experiencing great depression. All of those things, I was newly married, all of those things were creating, in a sense, the perfect storm for me to come to this moment of a crisis where I met Jesus for the first time. I would sit down and think through the key points. We don't have time to hear, you know, if you came to faith in Christ when you were 30, 
uh, that's 30 years worth of stuff. We don't, we don't have time to hear 30 years worth. So pull out, I would say two, three, five at the max things that are important leading up to that crisis moment that will help set the context for what was happening when you had this crisis moment. Now, the crisis moment itself is, is going to be how, how you met Jesus for the first time, how, how you encountered God for the first time. Now, for some people, your encounter and your awakening to spiritual things it is going to be a revealing versus a one-time climatic crisis moment. You can include those. Uh, there will be a shift. There, it, if you really think through some of those unveiling, you, you will get to that point where you're like, oh, the, okay, that was the crisis moment, or that was the turning point, or that was the moment I realized, yes, I, I actually am walking with God. I didn't know that this is what had happened to me in that moment. Uh, and so then you want to include the crisis moment. And then the third is going to be what happened in response. A lot of times I hear people give all of this stuff leading up to the crisis moment. And they tell us like every sin almost they've committed. Then they have this experience and then they say, and then that, and then the end. Well, it's not the end. Something happened. You were changed. So talk about that evidence of change. What happened in you? How were you different because of this encounter you had with Christ? The way you talked, your relationships, your job, uh, your mental health, something changed. You know, you decided to finally get help for your addiction. There was something that happened. There was a change that took place. Um, Maybe it wasn't immediate, but there was a very next step that happened. You admitted yourself to rehab. You started to see a counselor to help with your marriage. You found a church and got involved in a Bible study. There is a next step. There was something that happened that will tell your board of ministry that a change actually did take place, right? We are saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, but it should have an outward effect as well. It should change us when we have that encounter with Christ. Uh, So that's your salvation story. Let's talk about your sanctification story because it's very similar, but a lot of people get really stuck here. And the biggest part is that they forget that sanctification is also an act of grace. So we are saved by grace through faith, but we are also sanctified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we call it a second work of grace. And a lot of times what happens is people confuse consecration with sanctification. So consecration is what you do. And so we'll, we'll hear often people will come in and they'll say, they'll, lay, they'll set the context. And then they'll move towards the crisis moment. And that, the middle, the crisis moment, I surrendered my life to Christ. I knelt at that altar, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, but they, they surrendered everything. That last thing that they were holding back on, they, they finally gave that all to God. That's what we call consecration, right? That is not sanctification. That is consecration. Consecration is necessary for sanctification. It is your part. But sanctification is what happens next. So first you surrender everything to Christ, but then 
the Spirit of Christ comes in and sanctifies you. In other words, he cleanses your heart. He makes you holy. He gives you a desire to choose his will over your own. So sanctification is what God did in you when you completely surrendered to God. So this is why you need to have an end. So a lot of people just stop there. They, they say, this, is, this was leading up to it. So here's my beginning, my crisis moment. I surrendered my life to Christ. And then they just stop the story. But the story's not over. What did God do in you? How did God change you? What is the evidence of that change? Was there somebody in the body of Christ who affirmed an outward transformation that they saw? Um, was there a moment where you woke up and you no longer wanted, had a desire to look at pornography? Something, a new awareness about yourself that came about because of this sanctifying grace in your heart? So there should be... Um, evidence that God sanctified you and is continuing to sanctify you. So if, if you don't get anything else out of this episode, please, please, please don't stop at, and then I gave my, my whole life to Christ because that's not sanctification. That is consecration and it's awesome. And I rejoice that it happened, but that is not the end of the story. There should be a sanctifying moment of infilling of the Holy Spirit. If we were Pentecostal, we would say, um, well, the evidence is that you speak in tongues. No, we're not Pentecostal. Uh, and so we're looking at how grace changed you on the inside. What, what Christ-like character was birthed in your heart and lived out in your actions because you were sanctified. All right. Call to ministry. Let's talk about your call to ministry. Now, these are the two I think that sh people struggle with the most giving their story of sanctification, and then giving their call to ministry. The, the hardest part is sometimes when we're receiving a call to ministry, it comes with its own embedded position. So let me give you an example. You have a call to ministry and you particularly feel led to minister to children. And, and so with your call comes with it a sense of, I'm called to be a children's pastor. So your call is twofold. One, God is calling you into full-time vocational ministry, but with a specific heart towards children, which of course, oftentimes the logical place is, I will, I will be a children's pastor. Um, say, sometimes it will be the same thing with planting a church. You have a call. All of a sudden you have this call in your life. You call to ministry and with it comes this overwhelming sense that you're supposed to plant a church, which automatically uh, gives you a position, right? It makes you a lead pastor. It makes you a church planter. So sometimes with your call comes this a natural affinity to a specific position or role in the church. Now, here's where a lot of people get stuck. A lot of people have a call to ministry, but because they don't see themselves in a very specific role, they struggle to articulate that call. So let's see if we can flesh this out in the same way that we did with salvation and sanctification. So your call should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? So let's talk about the beginning. What would be your beginning call? So let me, let me talk about my call. 
because it did unfold over time. And so for me, my I would say that I first began to sense a call to ministry within a year, 18 months after coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now at the time, I was Catholic. So I had, didn't have a framework, nor did I have the, the verbal context to articulate what was happening in my spirit. But what I did know was that every time I sat down to read the word, that there was something that welled up inside of me that said, people need to know. I had this sense of I had to tell people what I was reading. I had an overwhelming sense to preach this message, um, the me this message of God's transforming work that he wants to do. Uh, and in particular, he wants to do it within the context of the body of Christ. So I knew that there was. Now, I didn't realize that was preaching again because I didn't have that context. So initially, I thought I interpreted my call that I was going to be a speaker, maybe like Joyce Meyer, Beth Moore, whatever, uh, and that I was supposed to write Bible studies. And so as I was trying to articulate, well, what would that call look like? I think it's going to look like this. But if I was sitting before my board of ministry in those early years, I, I would have used this language to say, all I know is that when I read the word, something happens within my spirit. I feel the Holy Spirit rising up in me. And there is this overwhelming sense to somehow proclaim this, speak it, get it out and get it out to people which they would have been able to help me say, okay, that's a call to preach. You, the spirit is, is rising, raising up in you a desire to preach the word. And as you explore your call to ministry further, as you start moving towards ordination, uh, he will begin unfolding opportunities for you. Uh, and so you can explore, well, what role would that take? So for me, initially, I just started as an associate pastor. I was actually the pastor of outreach and evangelism uh, until God called me to plant a church. So I want you to begin articulating what happens when you, when you talk to God about your call, when you read his word, when you pray, when you hear someone preach, when you're um, with a group of people, something happens. The spirit is speaking to you and he's trying to help you identify what he wants to do in you and through you. So some of what's going to happen, if you are struggling to articulate your call, you're, you need to begin focusing on what is the Spirit doing in you? What do you feel? What do you sense? Um, I don't care if you just make a bunch of bullet points. Eventually, through your board of ministry and mentors, will help you to articulate what is really happening in you and then move you towards a role where you can walk out your call. Um, and then and then an ending. So for me, my crisis moment was, my crisis moment was really, I actually put out a fleece, um, which I don't do very often. So if you're not familiar with that, uh, it's in the book of Judges, Gideon, God calls Gideon. And Gideon says, well, if it's really you, you know, and he physically puts out a fleece, a sheepskin. So you can go back to Judges and you can read that story if you're not familiar with it. But that's where we get that term. We put out a fleece. And so I put out a fleece and I clearly remember where I was sitting on a Sunday morning and who was preaching when 
the Spirit clearly said to me, I am calling you to preach the gospel and you're sitting on the fence. If you're going to follow me faithfully, then you are going to preach the gospel. And so I went forward that morning at the end of the service, prayed at the altar. A friend of mine came, asked me how I could pray, how they could pray for me. And I just started to cry and said, God's calling me to be a preacher. And uh, I was so upset about it that she laughed and said, it's okay. God calls women too, you know, as well. And uh, so she prayed with me and I began the next steps, which was start talk to my pastor, enroll in some classes, read some books, start taking the next steps towards responding to the call to ministry, you know, find a mentor, those things. And so that would be my, that would be my ending. Well, I mean, ultimately the ending is I got ordained, but as you're going through the process, this is your call. Okay. Set the context, move towards the crisis moment. And then what was your next step? Did someone affirm that call on your life? Uh, was there something you learned about yourself in that process? What, what did you do next? How did you respond to that call? And so those things are all important. All right. And let's talk about the last one, which is growth in grace. And so if you've been, usually if it's your first meeting with the board of ministry, they want to know your salvation story. They want to know your sanctification story. They want to know about your call to ministry. So you're going to share that story and they're going to want to know what you're doing right now. Where are you serving to build up the body of Christ. So you're going to talk a little bit about your ministry, whatever that is. Now, if you don't have, it's okay if you don't have an official title, tell them what you're doing. If you're leading a Bible study in your home with three of your neighbors, tell them that. If you started a prayer group in your church, tell them that. If you teach Sunday school to adults or children a couple times a month, share that with them. They want to know where are you serving already as a lay leader. Some of that will help them, especially in your formation um, as you move towards ordination. Tell them what you enjoy the most about what you, where you are serving and what you're doing and tell them what you enjoy least. There are some of us, right, especially if you are a woman in ministry, you just take whatever you can get. You're like, I gotta, I gotta have something to do if I'm going to get ordained. So you just say yes to something. Sometimes we say yes to everything, which is really a problem. Dear women, stop saying yes to everything. Everything is not your job. You have a job. You have an assignment. You have something you're called to move towards those things. So many times I see candidates who are serving in four, five, six, seven different places, and they're not doing any of them well. You can't do any of them well. Pick out three that are really uh, life-giving and find a way to get rid of the rest of them, all right? Uh, if you can knock it down to one or two, even better. But you are not going to be able to take classes uh, if you work outside the home if you're raising kids, if whatever you're doing, well, right now everybody's working from home. So I guess that's kind of silly to say if you work outside the home, if you are holding a full-time job or even a part-time job, if there's kids involved, if whatever you're taking classes and then you're trying to serve in five, six, seven different places, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way you're doing any of them well. So 
find a way, if you can, to get rid of some of those and focus on just a few. But we want to hear your growth and grace. So if, if you if this is your first time, those are some of the things. But if you if this is your second, it's a renewal. You're renewing your district license and you're coming back. We want to know how have you grown in the last year? How have you grown in your personal faith? How have you grown as a minister? Uh, how have you grown in your in your ministry? Like how has your ministry grown? And when I say grown, I don't necessarily mean numbers right? I'm not concerned that you read 20 minutes a day in your Bible for 365 days and you never missed a day and you read the entire Bible through in six months or you read the the entire Bible through three times in the last 12 months. Uh, We have seven more people involved in our prayer ministry than we had last year. Those are great things, but I want to know how have you grown as a minister in your character, in your ability, uh, your leadership style? Is there something that God said, hey, we need to work on this. And so you're doing some intentional things to work on these things over the next year. Your character, skill level. If you're new to preaching, you could be working on your preaching skills. How are you working on your preaching skills? Um, have you started anything new? Have you tried something new and found out, yeah, that is not the ministry for me. Have you tried something new and God showed you there's something here? I want you to keep moving towards that. So let's talk about your growth in grace. It, nothing breaks my heart more that when I see someone come back a year later and they have no more self-awareness than they did the year before. They haven't improved. They've read a bunch of books, but they haven't actually applied any of those skills to their life. We told them there was, we we knew that there was a problem with their marriage or another relationship. We encouraged them to get counseling and they've done nothing to work on healing that relationship or their marriage. We want to see growth. Now we recognize in a year like 2020, okay, first of all, let me just say this. Everyone, everyone had a hard time in 2020, all right? I've been doing this for 16 years. I served for six years on staff at a congregation that was very challenging and had high expectations, and I was ready to quit more times than I can remember in in 2020 than I ever have in 16 years of ministry. Every single person struggled. So I want to say that because I think there's some people who think you're the only one. No, we get it. If it's hard for us and we've been doing this, how much harder is it for you who are new in ministry who are still trying to figure things out. We, we totally get that on the board of ministry. So hopefully in the last 12 months, there's been some, some aha moments. It doesn't have to be major. It can be small. Did you have deeper conversations? Did you declutter your house? Was there anything that God revealed to you uh, in the last 12 months about yourself or your ministry that, you recognize as something you need to work on in the year ahead. You can bring those, even though 2020 was a tough year, um, you can bring those to the table. Matter of fact, most, I'm going to say pretty much most board of ministries, if you come with any kind of a aha moment out of 2020, um, we're going to applaud. We're going to be excited. This happened, um, that you had enough wherewithal, enough self-awareness to sit down and say, all right, God, 
this is an issue. Let's let's figure out what we can do, um, even with baby steps in the next year to grow in this area. So those, so those are some of the things. And I, I, I want to, so let's just talk about 2020 for a second. If you're moving towards ordination this year, if you're coming in with board of ministry, I'm going to say that the bar is probably pretty low. Like, did you do the basics? Did you have any aha moment? You know, an inch of progress, we're going to be excited. Now, here's the problem. If you're going to interview for ordination, you don't really get a pass. And I know it doesn't seem fair, except that we give you the option of waiting. We, we give you the option to wait another year to say, uh, you know what? 2020 was so bad. I am not ready to interview for ordination. I, I just don't have the brain capacity to sit down and really uh, prep myself for the theological questions. And I need to wait a year and nobody will think anything will actually applaud you for saying, you know yourself, you know how much bandwidth you have, mental bandwidth you have to give towards this and you want to wait another year? Good for you. Now, if you do want to go through with the ordination interview, you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to sit down and focus. You're going to have to really dig into the scriptures. You're going to have to be prepared to answer um, big questions. You're going to have to, you, we want to know, do you understand the Wesleyan, so this is specifically for Nazarenes, do you understand Article 4, which is the Wesleyan view of scripture? Are you able to articulate it? Are you willing to wholeheartedly support it, teach it, preach it, etc.? Do you understand Article 10, which is the doctrine of entire sanctification? Can you articulate it using scripture? Can you give evidence to it in your own life? Are you willing to teach it and preach it and uh, and hold it up as a value in uh, as our doctrine? We have several articles of faith. I will just tell you, especially if you're on my district, those two are going to be important. They will be asked. I can probably even tell you who will ask the question, but so just plan on it. So if you don't have the mental bandwidth to prepare, do yourself a favor. Wait a year. No one's going to think bad of you. But at the same time, if you say, nope, I want to interview, great. But don't come in and, and when we ask you about entire sanctification, you say, well, you know, 2020 was a dumpster fire. I just didn't really have time to prepare. Um, yeah, no, you don't get a pass on Article 10 and Article 4 just because 2020 happened. I'm sorry. I feel like I just need to be really blunt right now and say that because this is not a race. It's not a race. Uh, ordination is not the ending. It's actually the beginning. And you can do a lot of good as a licensed minister in the Church of the Nazarene. It'll be okay if you have to wait another year. It really will. Probably be a better minister when you get when you arrive. All right. Okay. Oh, one last thing. And this I'm gonna have there's a lot on this one. So for those of you who are watching the video, usually my solo episodes are really short, but I want to talk about elder track and deacon track. This is one of my pet peeves. So I will try to be gracious in the way I articulate this. First of all, please read the manual. Please go to the manual and read what it says for elder track and deacon track. Read what it says, not what you think it says. 
you know, kind of like when you read the Bible, you're supposed to read what's there and not what you think is there. Um, I have so many women and this is, this is how I know that this is a gender issue and not a manual issue because men never ask this question. Men never say, well, I have a call to preach, but I don't feel called to a lead pastor position. So should I really be a deacon? I have never heard a man say that. Anytime a man says, I have a call to preach, I'm declaring elder track. And then that's the end of the conversation. But women will say, well, I have a call to preach, but I don't have a call to be a lead pastor. So should I really think about deacon track? No. If you have a call to preach, then you qualify for the elder track. The key difference between the elder track and the deacon track is whether or not you specifically have a call to preach the gospel. Now, my personal opinion is, I don't know how you can be called a ministry and not have a call to preach the gospel. Um, it just seems weird to me, but I do know some deacons who do not feel like they have a call to preach at all. They very clearly feel that they are to come alongside others. Um, they are, they teach well, they believe they have a call to teach, but they have no call to preach the gospel. Um, doesn't mean that they can't ever do that. The other problem that we run into is that we confuse what you do on Sunday morning, standing up front behind a pulpit as preaching. And that what you do in a classroom during a Bible study is teaching. And let me tell you that you can stand up front behind a pulpit and teach, and you can sit at a table, uh, even on a podcast, and preach. Um, they are very distinct gifts. When you read in the, in the Pauline epistles, they're listed as two different things. Preaching is usually listed as prophecy. Uh, so prophets are called to preach. Uh, and then there are teachers. And so prophets have a call to proclaim the truth uh, in a way that brings um, conviction by the Holy Spirit, causes us to stop and do some internal reflection. It has a prophetic element, not in the sense of foretelling the future, but in forth telling the good news. So we think about the prophets in the Old Testament. They were preaching. They were calling people back to a very specific way of following God uh, when they got off track. Or they were calling people to follow God who never followed God, right? So there, it was, there's very much a prophetic element to preaching. Teaching is about edification. So teaching is building up the body giving knowledge that will help help us on our journey to be better disciples um, as we follow Christ. And now you can do both. On Sunday mornings, your pastor, uh, there might be parts of his or her message that are prophetic or preaching. And there may be parts of the message that are more teaching in that sense. But for example, my teaching pastor, when she gets up to share her message on a Sunday morning, she teaches. When I get up on Sunday morning to share the message, I preach. And if you listen to not just the style, but the content of what we share, are very, it's very different. 
So I tend to be more of a preacher. She tends to be more of a teacher. Both are needed for the body. Both are needed for edification of the body of Christ. Both are needed uh, to help expand the kingdom, right? We, God called some to be prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And so you're going to have to determine elder track versus deacon track. You are not called to a position. You're called to a vocation. Does your call have a prophetic preaching element? Then you would automatically apply for deacon or for, for elder track. Do you not have a sense that's prophetic and preaching, but more teaching and edification? Then you would be on the deacon track. I hope I'm making this clear because nothing drives me crazier than any woman coming in and saying, well, I, I absolutely positively have a call to preach, but I don't know if I should declare elder track. So let me answer the question for you right now, once and for all. Yes, you should declare elder track. I don't care where you're going to serve in the body. If you have a call to preach, the only track you should be choosing is elder. All right. I hope I made that clear. And any men who are planning, who are, happen to be listening to this, if you have a call to preach, the only track that you should be declaring is elder track. It has nothing to do with whether or not you are called to be a lead pastor. I mean, if we really want to get technical in the epistles, if you want to be a lead pastor, you should probably have the gift of shepherding, uh, elder track, deacon track, there's the, there's the delineating mark for you. Pull out your manual, read it for yourself. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Uh, best wishes. Good luck. Godspeed. The Holy Spirit be with you. Um, the Holy Spirit won't do the work for you, but so you do need to do the work, but I pray his blessings upon you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you his peace.